Good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm curious. Um, have you ever encountered a conflict with another person? <laughs> have, you, have you ever been in a group that encountered conflict with another group? Yeah. All right, you, you don't have to answer this question, but have you ever been in a church group that encounters conflict with another group from the same church? If so, how did you and your church group handle that conflict? Did you get aggressive and fight with the other group? Or did you get passive-aggressive and shun the other group? Or did you just up and quit and leave the whole conflict unresolved? Now, if you're here and you have not experienced conflict at church, let me just say two things. First of all, you need to get more involved. <laughs> because secondly, conflict is inevitable for groups of people who are seeking to accomplish the mission of Jesus. The very act of accomplishing the mission of Jesus creates conflict in Jesus' church. And we see this in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn there? Uh, it's going to appear, appear on the screen, or you can read it from that note sheet that's in your worship folder. And let's read, and we'll see what was happening. It says, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas for Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Basically, what we've got going on here in this part of history is that we have a group of Jewish Christians who had grown up in a Greek-saturated culture outside of this area, and then uh, they spoke Greek uh, as their language. And they moved, they'd moved into Jerusalem and they were worshiping with the local Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians. And cultural differences were clashing. And that clash was compounded by the language difference. 
to the point that the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked by the local church's Meals on Wheels program. And what I find interesting here is that the followers of Jesus were able to navigate this conflict so the mission of Jesus continued. So today, I just want to unpack for you from this history six principles which will help us accomplish the mission of Jesus in the midst of conflict. All right? So here we go. Principle one. Recognize that much conflict is legitimate. In verse one, it says, the Grecian Jews complained because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, with all the cultural differences that were going on amongst these two groups, it would have been very easy for the Hebraic Jews to simply not take this complaint seriously. They could have looked at how well their own widows were being cared for and assumed that all widows were being equally cared for. I mean, can't you just imagine the conversations that could have gone on under some of the local people's breaths? Ah! <sighs> Oh, stupid outsiders. They're always complaining about something. Ah, they come from that Greek culture. I wouldn't be surprised if they're not even circumcised. Ah. <laughs> what is their problem? You know, they talk funny. Some of them stink. Ah. How could they possibly think we're not feeding their widows? They are so hard-headed and hard to get along with. Can you imagine that? Yeah, because you've done that. We all have, haven't we? All too often, we dismiss a concerned voice by people who are different than we are. But the apostles did not do that. Instead, they worked hard to listen and recognize that the concern was legitimate. And we need to do the same thing. But what happens? What happens if, for instance, conflict is brewing because of an illegitimate concern? What if the Grecian Jews had been receiving the daily contribution of food, but because of misinformation or rumor, this complaint was brought forward? Then what? Well, I think the principle remains. We need to listen and respect the concern even though it is based on misinformation. Then we need to do what we can to clear up that misinformation. You see, just because you have information that someone else does not have, it does not give you license to mutter under your breath and dismiss people's concerns. And let me make just a quick clarifying point. Don't confuse personal preference for need. As people, we need food, shelter, and water. And probably a whole lot less than we get here in America. And most importantly, people need a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Anything beyond that is culture, tradition, it's preference. It's what we like. It's what we want to have. But it's not a need. Principle number two. Now, I started to state this point as maintain your priorities, but I quickly realized that we often hold priorities that do not conform to the teachings of Jesus. And so instead, let's state it as maintain Jesus' priorities for you. That's better, isn't it? You see, in verse 2, the apostle said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. And in verse 4, they said, we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, have you ever known anyone who ever said, I'm sorry, not right now, I'm praying. I am so impressed by these apostles' devotion to spiritual matters. You know, all too often we fail to recognize that God has priorities for us. God made you. Do you believe that? Psalm 139 says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has ordained your days. It does not matter what you think of yourself. It does not matter what other people think of you. You are magnificent before God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the author compares the spiritual gifts that God has given to each of us individually to physical parts of the human body. Makes this comparison. And he says in verses 17 and 18 of 1 Corinthians 12, If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? <laughs> Makes sense. He goes on and says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. We are Philida Baptist Church because God delights for us together to display His character. And every one of us has a role in accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Do you know what your role is? Would you be willing to take some time and effort to discern what your role is. Think of it like this. What do you suppose would have happened if these seven men had not fulfilled their God-given priority of serving widows? What if they'd said, no, not going to do it? A little frustration? Maybe division in the church? maybe some widows would have died from malnutrition. Imagine what would have happened if the 12 apostles had not fulfilled their God-given priorities of prayer and the ministry of the Word. Have you ever thought of that? 
What would be the consequence of that? How about no New Testament? We would be up a spiritual crick without a way to God. This world wants you to believe that you are random goo and you have no purpose. There is nothing farther from the truth. You are created in the image of God and He has ordained your days to go forth and perform specific priorities for His kingdom. Will you do that? Principle three. Be prepared to step up and serve. In verse 3, the apostle said, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And in verse 5, it says, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, here comes a big gap in the flow of thought. But follow me, because it's going to connect. All right? It is my understanding that statistically speaking, the average policeman rarely draws his firearm. I told you it was a big gap in the flow of thought, right? Just hang with me. And yet I understand that policemen practice regularly on drawing and firing their sidearm in all kinds of situations. Are you starting to see how this is going to relate? Why? Why do policemen practice? Because it is not healthy for a policeman to learn how to use his sidearm when faced with criminal conflict. Duh! The church is the body of Christ. We exist to demonstrate the love of God to all people, and communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that says there is no God, and if there is, all religions will get you to Him. And when conflict arises within the very entity intended to demonstrate God's love and communicate the good news of Jesus... You kind of need to be prepared or the love of God is not going to be seen. Does that make sense? How many of you, when you encounter a a conflict, knee-jerk with the love of God? Yeah, me either. Now, I'm very tempted to just kind of go off here and talk to husbands and wives But I won't. Marriage is a great training ground to display the love of God. Family is a great training ground to display the love of God. Yeah, I've seen a few church potlucks that are great training grounds to display the love of God. But I do want to make this side note. Far too often... I see people who say yes to Jesus, but they're doing very little to foster their relationship with Jesus. Kind of apathetic Christians, if I can say it like that. 
And I see them caught in crisis, and all of a sudden they want to display Christian maturity to navigate their crisis successfully. Unfortunately, they have not prepared to be mature. And so it's very difficult for them to respond maturely in the midst of crisis. You can't just put on Christian knowledge and experience as if it were a coat. You have to develop it. And the most heartbreaking thing for me to observe is that had people been developing their Christian maturity, well, they may very well have been spared the crisis they find themselves in. Now, that is not always true. But it's true far too often. So let me encourage you to get prepared. Men, today, in at 12 in room 1. Did you hear me? Men, if you heard me, would you raise your hand? I Come on, men, I'm talking to you. Are you hearing me? Today, at 12, in room 1, is an informational meeting about men's roundup happening September 9, 10, and 11. I cannot think of a more significant event that could prepare you as a man to navigate conflict. So please, at least... Come to the meeting, listen to the information, and then make a decision. We need you. Men and women, we will be starting small groups this fall. And what we are planning is a format that looks different from past small groups. We're going to meet together, all together, Sunday night, Pastor Scott is going to share some teaching to start off with on Bible study methods, and then we're going to break into subgroups, and we're going to seek to understand and apply that and help each other live by the Word of God. It's a great place to get prepared. Plan on that. Principle number four, and this flows right out of principle three, step up and serve. In other words, be willing to be part of the solution. In verse 5, they chose seven men, and in verse 6, they presented them to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. These seven men were willing to take on responsibility delegated by the apostles. Now, Can you just imagine that for a minute? Imagine that you had some concern or complaint of conflict, and you approached the very Apostle Peter, you know, the guy who walked on water when Jesus was out there in the storm and said, come to me. Okay, imagine that you approach him and voice this concern, and he says to you, as one who has been sent by Jesus in the flesh, to build his church. I am sending you in this conflict to serve. And you fill in the blank. Whatever it is. 
How would you respond to the Apostle Peter? No. <laughs> no. How about, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. You know, it is easy to voice complaints. It's hard to fix complaints. It really is. Service requires effort and personal sacrifice. And in our non-stop American culture to make money and live in debt, by the end of the day, we are so tired. Aren't we? So what if we did some radical changes in our work schedule and to our standard of living and we got involved where we had a concern. A few years ago, I sat on a multi-church committee and we were rewriting a bunch of church documents. They're important documents, but it's that kind of work. And uh, the moderator, he said to the group, you can make any critique you want, but you have to bring a solution with your critique. Wise words. I think it's important for us to understand that if we have a concern, but we are not willing to help resolve our concern then we need to stop voicing our concern. You see, people who are gifted critics, they easily fall into a spirit of grumbling and complaining that breeds dissension amongst the church. And Proverbs 16.9 says, the Lord hates a person who stirs up dissension. Principle five, <clears throat> be open to growth and change. In verse five, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group. And you, when you think about what was going on, that is a pretty amazing statement. Verse one said, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing... That statement should remind us of Acts 2.41, which says, Those who accepted the message of Jesus were baptized, and about 3,000, catch the number, 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then when you skip on down a couple of verses in that same chapter, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved exponential growth was occurring from every corner of society. So the apostles appointed seven Greeks not only to oversee the distribution to the Greeks, but to oversee the entire distribution system. I mean, in essence, you had new leaders running new programs. And it pleased everyone. That is remarkable. I mean, I would dare say that is impossible. 
I mean, the old saying is true, right? You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And yet at this time, in the midst of conflict, they did the impossible. How did they do that? That's what I want to know. Well, I don't think it had so much to do with what they did. I think it had to do with what all those people believed. You see, those first disciples had experienced the good news of Jesus. The promised Messiah had come. They were saved from their sins, and they were excited for others to be saved from their sins. And for Jesus who was alive within them, to transform their world. When was the last time you had that kind of excitement about the mission of Jesus? God in you, changing the world. Let me ask the question this way. As a follower of Jesus, worshiping here at Philida Baptist Church, Would you like to see 3,000 sinful people recognize their need, repent of their sins, and come to this church family for help trusting Jesus? We know we're supposed to say yes. And I think in our hearts we believe that enthusiastically, theoretically but think of the pragmatic issues that would be required for that yes to occur let me let me just give you a few statistics because i happen to like statistics think about this right now with worship 2 up and running we have seating capacity for 400 people in our worship services. That means we would need eight worship services each weekend for everyone to worship. Are you willing to help host those eight worship services? Right now, on our membership rolls, we have 136 members means that those people have said, I believe and I seek out to live what this church teaches about Jesus. In order to help 3,000 people live out uh, in order to help 3,000 people live out what this church teaches about Jesus, which is the truth, by the way, it would require all 136 members leading a small group every week. And in that small group, there would be about 22 people, which is kind of a large small group. But that's what it would take for those 3,000 people to grow up in Jesus. Are you ready to lead a small group of 22 people every week for the rest of your life. 
in order for 3,000 people to be prayed for by an elder each week, assuming the elder, elder prays for 20 people each day, seven days a week, it would require an elder team of 21 men. Are you prepared to be an elder? And I have not even begun to talk about the nursery workers, the children's ministry, the youth ministry. It's huge. And it takes you, the church, the living vessel of God. So let me address a current situation. Just as an example to help us evaluate our thinking, if I haven't done so already. Due to several logistical and personnel issues, we've closed Worship 2 for the majority of the summer. And I've heard this sentiment. You know, I really like us all being together. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not criticizing the sentiment. I enjoy being together as well. But if our sentiment were to cause us to consider retreating from worship to or any other form of multiple service venue, I think we would have to seriously question our openness to growth and change. Don't you? Something to think about. Principle six. Advance the mission. Verse seven says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, a word of caution is needed at this point. It would be easy to read this verse and to think that the apostles advanced the mission because of their attention to the ministry and the, of the word. And our temptation when we think that is to think, okay, well, I'll step up and I'll do some little service that frees up other people, other people like the pastors, other people like the elders, other people like you know the people that are on the stage, the worship team, or... Or I'll just free up anybody else. It really doesn't matter who, as long as it's somebody else. And they can do all that disciple-making Jesus stuff. That is not what this verse is communicating. And we see it as the story continues. For when you move into the next scene, uh, verses 8 and following, I know we didn't read it. But basically what you're going to find when you do read it is you're going to find the table waiter Stephen, okay? Defending the faith before the Sanhedrin. Ultimately, he's martyred. He's put to death because of his faith. And that martyrdom leads to the dispersion of the church resulting in the spread of the good news to the non-Jewish world. You see, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly because the needs of the people were being met. 
the ministry of waiting tables, meeting the tangible needs of people, it was bringing people to Jesus. And the apostles' ministry of the Word, that was also bringing people to Jesus because it says that um, a large number of priests believe. You see, the priests were the teachers of the Old Testament law. They they were God-fearing men, but they needed what the apostles had heard and experienced from Jesus firsthand. They needed to hear what those apostles had to say in order for them to take all of their Old Testament knowledge and understanding and reframe it around this person of Jesus to realize that Jesus is the Savior. And so the mission advances because everyone, everyone works side by side in the priorities that God has given to them. So, what conflict do you feel we are experiencing? What, what conflict do you suppose might be out there on the horizon? Well, would you just consider these six principles? And would you ask God to show you one of them? that he would have you work on in the days ahead? Let's pray. And I'm going to give you a minute to ask that question of God. Father, you have placed us in the Northwest, uh, the least church-attended part of our nation. God, would you help us to surrender to your Holy Spirit that we might be a conduit of your grace and truth to those in our community throughout the Northwest region and around the world. Thank you, God. Amen.